This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So fitting uh, that the children would be looking at Jairus' daughter this morning, uh, the rising of a girl who was dead, as we're reading through Lamentations, which I will admit to the confirmation students, uh, just like preaching Job on Easter, kind of interesting to have Lamentations on your confirmation Sunday. Uh, but I do hope after you think and consider through what we'll hear this morning, uh, how fitting it actually is uh, to think about this day uh, where people were mourning, but God actually brings joy. So what I'd like you to do is Grab that Bible, open it up. We're going to go in together because I, I want you to explore with me. We're going to do a little more reading uh, uh, than maybe we always do. So if you have your Bible, open up to Lamentations chapter 1. So I'm going to take you back uh, in time. So the year is 587, 586. Uh, and as we set there, we're going to look and see the, the opening to the book starts with this picture of a very lonely city. Lamentations Chapter 1, verse 1. Now, we have just read Jeremiah, and the reason that Jeremiah is actually placed in the Old Testament next is that traditionally people have held that Lamentations is also authored by Jeremiah. So that this is why they placed uh, Jeremiah with Lamentations uh, after it uh, in that setting. So as we read Jeremiah last week, here we are. Uh, some of you are probably familiar with Jeremiah many times. I referenced it, I think, last week as well, being called the Weeping Prophet. It actually isn't about the book of Jeremiah that he gets that title, if you didn't know that. The title actually comes from his writing of today's text, Lamentations. Uh, so when people talk about it, see so if you're going, well, I get he was sharing a message last week of repentance, but I didn't catch the crying. Uh, that title actually draws from the historical presence that he likely wrote these five poems, which are a funeral dirge. Uh, which is not something that's all that fun to go to. I'm assuming most of you have not done funeral dirges uh, to go. It's just this uh, walking out. It's mourning. Uh, it, it's just going. Uh, it's not fun, uh, but boy, it is a part of processing uh, a death. Uh, so these five chapters of Lamentations are really processing the demise of a city, processing the fact that all of our dreams and aspirations are gone. So it begins with this. How lonely sits the city that was full of people, now think about Raleigh. Raleigh's real excited uh, because, what was it, last year it just crossed, in its region, it crossed a million. You guys were all excited about that, right? <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's funny how that works. You all wanted to come to a place, now I realize some of you were born here, but you wanted to come to a place that had lots of opportunities and growth and a growing airport and things for you to see and do, but now that it's growing, you're all going, well, well why is this happening? I know, we chuckle at it because we all realize why, but uh, we'll leave it there. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. So this is a city that had that and it is no more. <laughs> Trust me, you might mourn our city's growing. If you've ever lived, and I know some of you have, in a city that is in decline, it will far surpass any challenge you have of having to sit through a traffic light three more cycles than you'd like. You still have all the pizza and food that you want. A city in decline means everything is gone. No jobs, no livelihood, no food, no nothing. It's a darkness that, trust me, this area doesn't know. Reading Lamentations is weird uh, for the triangle. 
because the triangle is not experiencing the lament that Jerusalem is in its day. The text continues in verse 1, how like a widow has she become? She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. So when I hear that question, one of my things that popped into my mind, is God really present in the world? Like when you think about today, like is God really present? So after a year of gathering, I have confirmations, a year, you spent an entire year on Wednesdays. Some were fun, right? Some were not. Let's be honest. You're like, we have some good Wednesdays, and some were past I wasn't really all that jazzed about it. That means your confirmation experience was probably like, anyone willing to admit yours was kind of like that? Anyone? You should look behind you. It's pretty cool. Like a lot of adults are like, yeah, mine was kind of like that too. Good days and not so good days. But the question is, is God active? Because right here, Lamentations 1, you've got like, well, God was watching the city, but now he's not watching the city. Is, is he gone? Is he here? Is he not? So when Sunday morning, so this whole experience gets separated from history, separated from real experience, confirmation can become disjointed. As if like, my parents asked me to go on Wednesdays, which they did, and you guys win, but you kind of wonder, did I learn anything? And I'm not saying you didn't learn. I know you did. Uh, you guys wrote wonderful papers. You'll share some of those uh, this morning. Uh, I know from memory work that you did in other places. But you have to ask, did we answer the question, God's activity in this world? One of the things I, I worked with them as well as other classes is talking about God's kingdom. Uh, and I've reminded them. I'm not going to quiz you guys this morning, so don't worry. You're not on the spot. Uh, but I'll say God's kingdom isn't a castle. When we talk about God's coming kingdom, I'm not waiting for God to deliver a castle from the sky. Like, it's not like, well, God's not here because I'm, I'm waiting for his kingdom. God's kingdom is his, any other confirmation? There's a couple other confirmations who's here. It's God's activity, God's reigning, because kings don't king, do they? Kings don't king in English. You king in checkers, I know that. But kings don't king, they what? They reign. So a ruling God should be reigning in the world. His activity should be present, and we should see that activity in our lives. That doesn't look like much raining is happening uh, in Lamentations 1, verse 1. And Jeremiah is going to give us this really tough picture. Look at chapter 2. So we move forward. So if you've got your Bible, kind of flip ahead. Or if you've got your phone, I know, just kind of scroll, and it'll take you to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. <laughs> You're like, really? This is confirmation day? My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. See, this depiction is savage. Now, when I said, boy, this seemed odd to do on confirmation, I actually thought, you know what? It's not that odd, because we've got to understand how bad things are to realize why confirmation even matters. If we don't acknowledge that we are in need of someone to fix the depravity around us that actually begins with, us. The person that greeted you in the mirror, not realizing if a spouse or friend was right there with you, you probably had opinions about them anyway. What are you doing next to me right now? Let me wake up. But that person that greets you in the mirror, boy, God has a lot to say to that person. So this savage depiction is what picks up on the lament, the lament of realizing that Jerusalem is falling. But you have to know who you are to realize that you're falling. You've got to know that Jerusalem didn't follow God's word. Jerusalem didn't get what was going on. 
Now, for most people, and I shared this in, in the Sunday school class earlier uh, this morning, you just know Lamentations chapter 3. Because Lamentations chapter 3 is the hope in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the downturn. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Now, we just read chapter 2, verse 11, where the bile is turning in our stomach. Do you remember the last time you had that feeling? I know it's a weird one to recall. Yeah, it was not pleasant. It's like the worst. Like, you know the one where you almost like, you just want it to finish what you think it's going to do because it's that bad? <laughs> I know. Some of you are like, really? Really? This is one of those like moments where you're trying to get the sermon to actually create like, like this physical response, but don't really do the physical response. Yeah. I know, we just want to get you close enough, but not really there. I'm working it too hard. But as you set there, it's in chapter 3 then that God writes and says, but I'm there in the midst of that moment. I'm there. Because the whole city's lost it. They lost it all. They're not getting the new traffic light. They're not going to get a super target. The Amazon Fulfillment Center is not coming to them. Southwest just left. I mean, like, I know there's a whole laundry list of things you don't want to see happen. Uh, but all those things, it's done, completely done. And you will never, ever take a vacation to see your grandparents again. You'll never go back to your ancestral home, ever, because it's destroyed. Uh, my mom, wonderful person, but she raised us on thinking back to the images of her elementary school which it doesn't exist anymore. So she would always paint these pictures of us of what it was like. I mean, she'd just sit there, well, our cafeteria didn't exist originally. We had to sometimes eat outside. Uh, and then when they had the cafeteria, now the school's gone. We're like, Mom, you've told us this story dozens of times. We know the school is gone. Believe it, yeah. And the, uh, did you guys have parents that did this to you? They would actually drive you past the sites of their childhood that were no more? Yes. This was my parents, man. Well, we're in this part of town you know what, well, I'm driving anyway, so you guys can't decide. All right, so this is getting, here's the other site. For the people, it gets worse. They couldn't even drive by because they've been removed from Jerusalem. So it's one thing to go by and dream about what used to be. It's another to not even be able to drive by because you're not there. The temple's gone. Now, they're still there in 586. The funeral dirges, they've watched it decay but they're about to be kicked out in exile and they can't even be there. Seventy years will pass before they come back. Most of the people who watched it fall will never be there for it to actually rise and be rebuilt. For them, everything that they knew is over. How many of you can think back 70 years? Yeah. Anybody want to go back? You're like, yeah, I mean, you can take 70 years off my life? Great, thanks. <laughs> this is the best church service ever. This isn't a lament. This is excitement. But that's what God's actually offering to his people in Lamentations. He's trying to peel back the years that have caused them to just get this film over them. See, the trouble with confirmation uh, is we end on a day like this, and then it's almost as if, like, well, now that I'm done the, the confirmation, now I'm free. You're actually free to go do things. Any adult willing to admit you were excited when your confirmation was over? Come on, anyone willing? The process was over? Yeah, because you got back your the time that was stolen from you. I, I am free again. The challenge is we actually don't normally then fill the time with something that God would ask us to do. We just fill it in. Well, now we fill it in with what? <laughs> yeah, see, someone else got it. It's, well, you know, pick up my phone, you know, got an hour to kill. 
Yeah. Oh, actually, there's something I do want to look at here. I mean, how sad is it? We didn't have that like before we had to do terrible things like write like a comic book, like an actual book. Actually, I had to do something. Or heaven forbid, some of you actually went outside and played. Remember that? Yeah, I know. You actually used your lungs and legs. Crazy. But as we move forward, uh, the text takes us to another place, and we get this unique question deeper in chapter 3. So dive a little further, and you get Jeremiah asking a question. Why should a living man complain? I don't know if you noticed this as you read through this past week, but it's a really interesting proposition. So for a student who studied confirmation, they had more time out, or, or someone who's struggling in life and something's going wrong, and there's lots of things that are happening in your lives. But why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? Isn't that unique? Jeremiah actually asks it. He goes, hmm, do we have the right to be upset? Is actually what he's asking. Now, in the midst of the reading uh, from Lamentations 3, where I said this is kind of the joy in the midst of it, his mercies never cease, this is not the portion people normally read out of chapter 3, just so we're clear. They stop at about verse 33. But 39 prompts you with, do you have the right to complain? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. This sounds like what? Anyone know this? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, for those who go, well, why are we reading Lamentations? This is Old Testament stuff. This is Pentecost. This is New Testament day. Because Pentecost is actually all about the Old Testament. It's all about God's promises in the Old Testament. So when they happen, and Peter's talking on Pentecost, everybody's like, whoa, it all happened just like he said. Like, that's the coolest thing in life. When something actually happens and you didn't think it would, I mean, it really has to be the moment where you didn't think it would. Those are the ones that blow your socks off. You're like, well, it's never going to happen. They're never going to complete that on time. And they do. Remember the first government project you ever experienced that came in ahead of time and? Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, I know. I'm waiting too. But when it does, when it does happen, you'll remember it. Uh, and it will be amazing. See, God promised all these things, and then they actually happen. So think about a, a student. Again, under the heading of the question, why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of sin? So I want you to kind of set ideas of people and being able to complain. So a student who's not permitted to be on a sports team because they're on academic probation. You get that, right? You know why they're not allowed to play. You may not agree with it, you may have been the parent who tried to fight it. I mean, it's really just a, it's really just a, a, a 2.85, and you only wanted a 2.89, so it's very, very close, right? I mean, it's almost not a problem. Trust me, man, it, it wasn't me, but I was around kids whose parents fought for those, uh, those, those fun little uh, moments. Or other sides. The person who can't get a home loan because they've defaulted so many times on a credit card and other debt that they've had, like, you get it, right? You get why they didn't get the loan. I mean, you may not like they can't get the loan, but they didn't. I mean, it's just kind of straightforward. Or someone else who struggles with a moment as to, like, their, their health uh, or their heart or their just anything else where you're going, I get why the conclusion happened. But now we struggle with lamentation. Why did this happen to Jerusalem? Why is it that this fell apart for them? But the plight is actually of all humanity, and this is what Lamentations is trying to do to us. Trying to draw us out from 586 and realize, I, I'm, I'm Jerusalem. Now, you're not a city. 
not trying to turn you into, I'm just trying to say, their situation looks more like you than you know. And it happens in a couple ways. Jeremiah, if you go to verse 42, so if you haven't opened your Bible, do it, because I'm not going to display the verse for you. You actually have to turn there. 39, so we're reading where we are, I'm going to take you down to 42. Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sin? Verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So you've got all these neat images, right? So you've got 1 John 1, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Let us lift our hands and hearts. We've got praying, we've got all these great things that are happening. And then 42, we have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. What did Jeremiah just do? He just included himself. See, in the lament, he doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the ultimate poet. <laughs> I'm above this. I assure you, uh, no pastor is, is above the church. <laughs> Pastors sin just as boldly as others. They're just maybe better at hiding it, which is actually scarier, isn't it? When you really think about it, it's a dangerous thought. Uh, the assumption that, wow, you know, pastors must never do anything wrong. That's not how I read the Bible. <laughs> you guys are like, we are never coming back to this church. This is a very, a very dark, this is like a lament for this church. It's going through its own funeral dirge. No one will be here next week. No, it's not a funeral dirge for the church. It's a funeral dirge for false beliefs that we carry. Weird assumptions that we make about how, how, what the church is and what it isn't. The church is for broken people to be mended. Jerusalem was a city filled with broken people that thought it was a place that could fix people. Jerusalem didn't fix people. God fixed people. Uh, it's God who moved forward. So this whole plight moves ahead. Jeremiah makes that statement that he is set there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. St. Paul makes a statement. Not that I expect you all to know 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, but someone with their phone, I know, someone's like, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to nail it. Is where we have St. Paul say he is what? chief of sinners though I be, of which Paul says, I am the most. You see, the greatest people that we set up on, on pedestals of these are the, the great people who are set there. Uh, they understood uh, the lament and the funeral dirge was actually not just for a city, it was for, it's for me. It was actually about me. Uh, and I'm in need of something. I'm in need of restoration. Restoration from what? Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. Do you guys have anything that you have either received, passed down, or something that you hope to pass down to the next generation? Anyone willing to admit you have something like that? Just read a note uh, from my cousin who passed away earlier this year, uh, and it was in a drawer, and it sat there. It was a note she gave Melissa and I two, three years ago, uh, and it just said, uh, uh, the vase that you have received, I believe, is 116 years old. Uh, I always remember, and she named the family member when I think of it, and I hope that it will be on your mantle for your lifetime and you will pass it down to your children and the children's children. It was just, I mean, for, for several years, she actually kind of knew where life was headed and she was just passing these things along. Now step into Lamentations 5 and realize what's happening here. Remember, O oh Lord, what's befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to... Yeah, it's not like an estate sale. This is a, <laughs> it got shipped off. You don't even get any of the post. I mean, gone. The whole city and everything that had, everything you had saved up is done. And who's getting it now? Strangers and foreigners. 
which I know you can have a huge heart for people, but the idea of the thing you worked for your entire life going to a stranger, and I'm not saying you don't donate things to charity, I'm all, I'm all for that, but the idea that your mom's precious silver, your parents' china, the suit that was worn by your dad when he was wed is going to go to someone else. It kind of makes the what? Yeah, see, we're back to the, yeah, the stuff in the stomach and the rising and the, yeah. See, this is the feeling that Jerusalem's having. It just isn't right. It shouldn't be there. Words of inheritance going somewhere else just isn't there. So the city of Jerusalem is losing everything. Now, I also want you to consider how many of you have been told well, if you just buy a house and then you have a house, you can invest the house and it'll be the greatest asset you ever have. Anyone been told that? Okay. Now, imagine a foreigner coming in, taking your house, burning it, striking it to the ground, you have no insurance, and you're done. See, this is Jerusalem. We live in a very weird world now where we have insurance and rights and courts and other different things. They didn't have that. There's no like, well, you know, I'm going to go to the Babylonian court and I'm going to tell them like, hey... Guys, I get that you came in and took our land, but I'm going to need eminent domain seizure. None of that. None. It's gone. The dreams and aspirations just aren't there. We live in this weird world with 2019 that you don't read the text the way they read it. Because you're like, oh, well, they would have gotten, you know, equal, you know, they would have gotten something back for it. They got nothing. And they had nothing because they had invested all their hope in the physical possession. Everything in the physical possession. But today, you pretend you don't put it in the physical possession because you've actually put it in what? The idea that there is law and penalties and you can get things back and you've got it all set and you're insured and all that. So you've got it all set up. I mean, actually have full faith in God looks a little different than I think some Christians actually live today. Full faith in God is actually, I, I believe that God is in control. And sometimes in control is going to look to me like God's what? Anyone? I mean, it sounds weird to say. It's going to look like he's out of control. Jerusalem's collapse would have looked like for most people trusting in God that it looked like God was out of control because Jerusalem should not have fallen. Now, I hope your confirmation experience didn't look like God was out of control. That would be really unfortunate <laughs> and, and a sad year. But as we sit there to inheritance, what I want the two of you to hear this morning is looking to Lamentations chapter, two, chapter 5, verse 21. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. See, today on your confirmation, it's about God restoring you because the whole story is there. The story started that God said, I'm going to send Messiah, and he did. And he sent that Messiah, so each of you after this year, my hope is when someone asks you what's in the Bible, you'd be able to say it's about promise. God's promise to a people, a whole people that's gathered here, but these two young men as well, and that they have an inheritance. And it's an inheritance that isn't just in a 116-year-old glass vase, it's not an inheritance that just has stocks and bonds and houses valued and attached to it. Your inheritance is greater than anything the world has ever known. It is eternal life. It is a gift that God says is yours today in Christ. The psalmist even writes in Psalm 121, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. That's where it comes from. On this day, on this day of your confirmation, restoration is yours. Walk out with that. Walk out and realize, I got this. And you know what? Your parents will make some statement to you this afternoon about how you need to calm down serious. You get one kind of free pass, one. I'm willing to go on the limb one time for you guys. I know parents are like, what is he doing? I got the look. But one time you look at him and say, restoration's mine. Now, what they do with that, they may still punish you, just so you know. I mean, just so we're kind of clear. 
But taking ownership that God gives you a gift today is so important to holding that the rest of your life. Publicly professing that you believe Jesus is Lord isn't just a ceremony. It's an awesome moment where God says what he started in your baptism is continuing on this day. And that's true for each of you as well. You see, you're all going through different stuff. And God gives you a pass as well. He gives you the same one. To the person who says, you've got nothing, you don't have enough fun, you don't have this, you don't have that, God spoke into your heart. God poured his spirit upon you, just as he poured it on that first Pentecost, and he says, restoration is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.